0: Today, I'm joined by Ami Valdemaro and Ilaq Diaz of uh, Liter of Light. Thank you so much for joining us today. Can you tell us a bit about your background and then we'll talk about your company?
1: My name is Ilak Diaz and I'm the founder of Liter of Light uh, together with Ami. And our background really is trying to look for Uh, this kind of social enterprises or sustainable ways that shelter and access to clean energy could be possible. Uh, We noticed that imported patented materials, manufactured materials, where uh, these communities have to go to hardwares to be able to purchase. Uh, And of course, uh, if they buy it, uh was not the way that we felt that this kind of access could be given and so we really wanted to look for sustainable construction materials so we started out using earth construction where age-old spanish ways of building houses out of earth you know these old churches that are 500 years old plus uh still stands today so we started building classrooms uh, bamboo how to treat bamboo uh all these lost methods that had been replaced by cement, steel, and glass, uh, but as we were building schools in these remote areas, we took it for granted that electricity will be just given to us to light up the schools, and that was you know quickly disproven that if there was no you know uh, financial benefit, running line to the mountains, and so we started thinking about solar. And realized that solar itself was also had a fault where uh, it would break down. So we started Litter of Light, my shelter foundation to build schools with sustainable materials that were cheaper. We can get double the space, but also solar lights. And that's where, you know, we are here today, uh, teaching grassroots solar around the world.
0: That's absolutely amazing. And uh... Um, Thank you so much for such a comprehensive um, introduction to really help us sort of understand um, the ethos behind it. And Amy, what about yourself? If you could tell us a bit about your background as well, please. Sure.
2: So, Ilak and I met in graduate school. And both of us have a background in working with the community and organizing, engaging with them, understanding what their needs are, what their desires are, and um, what their hopes and dreams and aspirations are, right? And working with them to co-create solutions. Uh, Ilak spoke about the context of shelter, schools and housing, right? Um, I come from a public health background, so working with um, communities on their health needs. And when we met, right, that's kind of what brought us together is this idea of, of working within the community and empowering them to be able to improve Their lives and the lives of their families.
0: And that's really wonderful. And um, what are some of the challenges that you've sort of encountered on the way? And how did you sort of overcome them as a company?
1: The popular way that, uh, in let's say, in the Pacific, um, Southeast Asia, has really come from uh, one which is uh, philanthropic, that somehow. If you have a good intention, good technology, uh, that people would, corporates or individuals would donate. Uh, unfortunately, that's just what kept these kind of great innovations in a rabbit hole, if you want to call it, uh, never extending beyond, you know, the garage in your house or you know, a, a small little office. Uh, these ideas don't scale around the world. And so uh, that was the early beginnings, which was charity would be the, the method to scale. Uh, we learned that very quickly, and social enterprise uh, was something that came in new, which is you create a business model where you would be able to earn through sales of service or goods, and that income uh, would, you know go into equity and then you can start scaling. Uh, you know, your business model. So litter of light, we go to companies, they buy the materials. We earn 25 to 30% above that. We bring them to the village. We also earn from that. Uh, Their employees get to build lights and we get to give these solar lights for free. Uh, So social enterprise was something that suddenly catapulted us around the country, around the region, and around the world. And so this was the most difficult one is to understand. business with a purpose was not only something that was you know viable but also something that was not against you know it was not kosher it was not you know it was it was it was not wrong uh, to be able to use this kind of finance to grow your and scale your impact.
0: Um, This is absolutely amazing and I you know over the span of time as you know we've discussed earlier that you're growing um and it was really interesting in one of our conversations where earlier we sort of talked about that it's a sustainable method you're not just going there and giving light which is for one of one time use and that that's it this is something that you're actually teaching communities and I just want to ask from your perspective Amy um what are the kind what are the kind of successes that you've seen in communities where you've gone where you've taught them well this is how to build your light this is a method and i think you also talked about in terms of a gender perspective as well that women are being taught as well Um. so what is the impact and what is the sort of the successes that you've seen in the community
2: I think for as much as we teach them about the technology, they're also teaching us. I think that's one of the beautiful things that is often overlooked, is the genius of these communities themselves to understand what their needs are and to come up with solutions that work for them and, and what they need, right? So for example, we work with fishermen, right? Fishing villages, and we have technology that we teach and train them how to do and they come back to us and they say well we want to modify this because for what our needs are we need something that blinks at night right so we design an innovation with them that serves them and their their needs right so i think that that's that's one thing that i think we've learned is the genius coming from within these communities and that regardless of income level right the, the women cooperatives that we work with are the stewards of these lights they build social capital around it right um they preserve and protect it they know that when they're building these lights when they're creating their industries out of it that that's going to pay, like light it forward for the rest of the community right so you think often about um you know switching out kerosene or other traditional forms of electricity with solar yes it provides light at night yes it allows people to study but it also provides a sense of safety and security so we use you know we build street lights using the same uh, hand-built solar lighting technology and systems and creating pathways for people to walk safely at night and these innovations I come out of co-creating it again with the community based on their wants and their desires and their needs.
0: Absolutely. I think it's so wonderful. And it it's really lovely to hear that genuine insight where you have this sort of learning from the communities as well. And you're going with this sort of authentic um, perspective. And it's kind of intergenerational as well, because once you teach these skills to one set of generations and you know women as being mothers and kind of looking after their communities that knowledge is kind of passed down it's so, sort of self-sustainable um in terms of specific areas uh which countries or which particular communities have you uh, been currently working with
1: well what's interesting really is um it is based really on uh, uh, these communities having access to organized women cooperatives uh what's important about that is uh once again as i explained the donation model of just handing it out uh sometimes the fact that uh the it it gets destroyed quickly so we work with women cooperatives to move away from their first business which is you know they provide the light in the villages they sell kerosene and this one is sold by the vial and then when it burns and of course the toxicity of that model where it enters into their lungs or causes fire or even children with third degree burns uh, that access to power uh, second is 35 percent of their money that they earn you know from selling raw goods which is already so small goes into keeping their uh, village lit but if Moving women cooperatives from selling drums of kerosene, you know, partialed out in in, in, little quartz into solar, I realize it's the same thing. This time they can rent solar lights, but they can also fix it. The institutional knowledge of having to repair it, uh, street lights, uh, with a simple screwdriver, you can swap out. LEDs for motorcycles, radio parts. Uh, the fishermen that Ami was talking about, they need blinking lights because they get run over by huge tankers. These are small outriggers. How do you see them in the darkness of the sea when you know you have these huge boats coming at them? So all of this is, is, is adapted to their needs, but also their capacity. You see, we don't just give them the technology we find out in you know North Africa's pottery. They don't want recycled plastics. They don't have bamboo. They they do things out of the earth. In islands such, such as you know uh, Dominican Republic, they do it out of bamboo. And Rohingya tribes, they have you know a long tradition of of bamboo building. So, uh, based on that, we find out what is possible for them to be able to not only receive and maintain. But the ultimate objective is we come in with maybe 100, but how does that get to 1,000, 10,000 lights? You must be able to create a system of social enterprise with leadership there where they can adapt the technology and be able to scale it without importing, you know, or, or getting uh, parts from us all the way from across the world. So you asked us about how this. One organization from the Pacific Islands, out in the middle, you know, of the sea, uh, how were they able to scale up to millions? It's because the power of the people is more important than the power of the technology.
2: So, with this, we've been able to expand from the Philippines to now having done operations in thirty countries around the world, covering every region and in the global South. Are from you know from as far away as Chile and Brazil.
1: We're opening up Cameroon, uh, expanding Kenya. Uh, we thought we'd expand much more. Uh, but uh, with COVID, uh, with having a business model and all the businesses closed, uh, it, it did severely impact us. Unfortunately, we did lose a couple of people as well to the disease because they did not have access to medicine. But uh, it, it, it shows us once again that uh, the world is sometimes unequal, uh, but not just unequal in resources. There's resources there, but unequal in access to knowledge, access to important uh, you know, um, uh, innovations. And the most important for us is uh, there's two choices, right? Either you keep on importing for a world that has already energy poverty. There's not enough fuel. There's not enough electricity for everybody. Or uh, you teach the people themselves to, you know, develop their own power systems. And we believe in the second
0: one. I think you've touched upon so many pertinent topics there and themes. And firstly, I'm sorry to hear about the loss of lives during the COVID Um and you talked about the power of people, the grassroots, and even with Odyssey Global Media, we think it's the grassroots that's really making an impact from global to local. And you talked about energy poverty, access to um, the the skills and the knowledge, because some of these countries, um, even continents, especially Africa, is a very resource-rich uh, locality. Uh, there's a lot of great deal of natural resources. and I think in terms of a sustainable way of empowering people, not just out of poverty itself, because poverty comes through a cycle and that cycle is sometimes through inequality and sometimes that is sort of related to gender as well, where you're talking about women's collective, because women have uh, a greater statistically proven um labor, formal labor that they will do to support their families or informal labor. And then sometimes there's this element of discrimination that's coming into play as well, where they might face discrimination at employment, which will affect their ability to provide for their families. And then if you factor in disabilities, for instance, then that really adds to this kind of oppression and the social injustice, this real social injustice, that kind of um affects individuals and then starts affecting communities and then the, you know that has an impact so it's it's so wonderful what you're doing um you know you talked about the light um uh, expense being about approximately thirty five percent uh is is that correct thirty five yeah
1: access to energy, so there are seven hundred million people uh about that don't have access to electricity. And several more of that that cannot uh, pay or cannot keep paying, uh, you know, uh, electricity. So the medium ground is that there's a very high expense paid for fuels that are wood, kerosene, uh, even you know battery lights. But uh, there's also a group where buy it buys solar lamps, and then they give every month without knowing that after they've paid it off, it will break. So they have to go through the cycle again. Uh, A very important, you know, uh, quote that I once got, which reflects on what Ami and I are doing is, uh, in a refugee camp, uh, without naming names, you know, a UN head, you know, of the camp said, you know, we build the camp. The refugees build the city. What does that mean? We give them tarpaulins, wood. We give them the basics, but the bricks, the mortar, the 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 transportation of buying secondhand cars to be able to ferry people around, the medical institutions, bringing in medicines and providing these are all built. Uh, you wouldn't even want to call them the refugees. These are city builders, and so by saying we give the. We give the camp, the refugees the camp, but they build a city is very much what we are. We give them the tools how to make the light, how to repair it, how to find the parts, and they light up the world
0: and that's such a poignant and such a humane humane message, you know, centering on the concept of social justice and humanity. Uh, what is your sort of future plans or dreams for leader of light and for yourselves?
1: Well, we realized that we also, with our work as we expand, uh, it's also getting people to understand what we do. Uh, and the villages are not going to tweet about this, not on Facebook. They, you know, it's very hard uh, to be able to gain momentum for the success of this. You know, it's not solar powered; it's human powered uh, kind of movement. And so we're now making, you know, workshops in cities. So as we make these huge workshops. Uh, all the lights gets donated. Now we realize that art is a good way of communicating. Before we used to com- communicate about the energy poverty, but uh, the way to c- communicate in a greater scale is to have you know uh, what is called uh, communal you know workshops, artworks, this kind of you know uh, events where thousands of people can come in and and and, and build solar lights. So we. Create some of the largest climate artworks in the world. Uh, not by having a one author top down, but you know, Ami, uh, mean, you could explain.
2: Yeah. So, I mean, rather than thinking about something, you know, energy poverty or even climate action as something that is um, highfalutin or at a very large distance from our everyday experience, through these artworks, we are helping people to understand that each one of us can make a difference and make a tangible difference in taking action. Um, So we started these artworks actually during the pandemic, right? So um, because we do community work and the ability to interact and engage with these communities was limited at that time, what we did is we started challenging people one by one to build these lights from home, which in and of itself, whenever someone builds a light, it's not just a light that they're building, but it's the sense of agency, right? The sense that I can do something um, to make a difference either in my own life or in the life of my community. And then we took all of these lights that were built and we started um, making these huge artworks, right? In parks, um, in public city centers, right? To raise awareness about this this desire for people to contribute. <clears throat> and so we started in the Philippines and Again, you know, through the power of social media, which now connects us in ways that have never before been seen, we were able to communicate this in a very visual, visceral way that each of us is contributing to something, even in the context of global pandemic. Um, And from there, we've been participating at the climate change conferences, and we built some of the largest artworks for COP26 and COP27, Right, um, to showcase the power of people coming together, and um, and taking real action.